The Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Welcome to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Joe Kipinti. I'm Sean Prophet. Today, we're going to skip our usual news segment and get right into the discussion of our main topic. And that is a proposal for a completely new constitution of the United States, which is very detailed and systematic vision to fit our contemporary world, and in particular, the challenges that we face. Our guest today is Mr. Alan Derker, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Committee for Open Source Global Governance. We are grateful and excited he is here, uh, and I can tell you that I'm very much looking forward to our discussion. But before we get to any of that, I want to remind you to make sure to subscribe, hit the like button if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment or review, and most importantly, tell your friends to listen. And if you're in a position to support our show, please head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the Radical Secular. We really appreciate your support. Our new episodes of the show post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish news articles in our weekly our journal at theradicalsecular.com. And now, Sean, please, would you kindly introduce our guest? Yes, certainly. Ellen, welcome to the show, and we're so glad that you decided to join us today. Glad to be here. Well, before we get started, I want to read a short bio so people understand a bit about your background. Growing up in the 1950s and 1960s, Alan Deckert noticed an incomprehensible paradox. Humanity had seen incredible progress in many ways, but civilization was still in poor condition. Wars, violence, famine, environmental catastrophes, inequities, and corruption dominated the news. In the 1970s, while a student at UC Berkeley, it came to him, his grand idea for how to resolve these age-old contradictions. The idea was too big for the usual modes of presentation. He would have to break it down into manageable pieces. Instead of a book, he wrote articles. Instead of one massive political campaign, he got involved in several. In 2017, he decided to roll up all his projects into one all-inclusive Change the World project, a new system of global governance, which will require constitutional reform for the United States and the world. So, Alan, this means writing not just one new constitution for the United States, it also means writing a new constitution for the world, which proposes an entirely new federation of nations called the Human Federation. Clearly, these are both huge undertakings and getting them adopted will be a very tall order. But that is right up our alley here at the Radical Secular since we're very future oriented. We talk a lot about Star Trek and the ideals of the United Federation of Planets. So we obviously don't see any problem at all with thinking big. Shooting for the stars, after all, requires some very detailed plans. And so, Alan, I think you've made great progress toward nailing down a lot of very important details. Before we dive into that, though, let's do our T-shirt segment, which has become a radical secular tradition. So let me tell you about my T-shirt. Um, of all the shows I've done so far, and I've worn this before, I think this is the most apt time that I've sported this one. Just a one earth, one system, one reality. And it is an image that evokes uh, grand ideas 
And ideas are important as they guide our actions. What I would say is that the core ideas that guide humanity are under transformation. The old hierarchies are dissolving. Today's topic, I truly believe, is an expression of a growing realization that there is a new path. We are seeing a shift in human consciousness, and I don't say that in a vague spiritual sense, but in a real down-to-earth sense. Yes, Trumpism has been tremendously upsetting, but don't be disheartened by populist right-wing backlashes that seek to hold on to the old order. This reaction was bound to happen. This transformation is not about becoming one world. We have always been one world, one community, one interconnected system. The transformation is that humanity is becoming more and more aware of that reality. That is the change that spurs us on. Change in thinking manifests as new ways of doing things. This process already started, and so here we are. And now, Sean, you tell me about your shirt. Okay. Well, I'm wearing one that I've worn before, but I think it's also appropriate for today. It says, there is no planet B. And I'm saying here at this point that the political crisis is leading us to a planetary physics crisis, which has already begun with what many people are now calling the sixth mass extinction, which so far concerns primarily non-human species. But the way things are going, the climate crisis and the accompanying political instability are beginning to threaten human life support as well. Indeed, Sean. And likewise, I think let's look upon the climate challenge, although it is truly horrific, as a great opportunity for humanity because it is literally forcing all of us to understand the existential necessity for global unity. And the same with the pandemic. It is not so different in that regard than the threat of right-wing backlash that forces us to confront the brutalities of the old order and seek truth and reconciliation. Having to go through all this sucks, but that's the nature of change. It is wild, contradictory, and all too painful. Expect this brutality and the uncertainties and do not ever let it sap your will or give in to despair. We do have a fighting chance. And so, and so we could surely use a new set of laws and principles that reinvigorate our civil society, give us direction and propels us towards a, the world that we want to see. A conversation about law requires far more time than is possible in one episode. And that's even to discuss a proposed new US constitution, leaving aside the new constitution for the human federation. So really our goal here today is for Alan to illuminate some key philosophical principles, give us some specific as time permits, and to propose actions. As informed and conscientious citizens, we all need a clear direction. Let us both be thoughtful and forge a way forward. They go together after all. Indeed. Question one. Alan, give us your basic pitch to start with. What is the Committee on Open Source Governance all about? What's essentially your statement of purpose, or as much of that as you can describe in a few minutes? Well, um, the Committee for Open Source Global Governance was actually, um, the, the name itself came out of a contest that was um, started by the Global Challenges Foundation. And I had to make up this name uh, because I, I used several names. The Human Federation idea, I wrote, I did the first draft of the Human Federation Constitution in the 1990s because okay. I, was in, I was in discussions like this one and, and talking about my ideas. 
And people would say, well, why don't you write it down? Why don't you write it down? And I, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I, I had no idea how to do that. And um, so I did the first draft and it was in the, it was in the um, late 1990s. And uh, it was before Google. And actually at that time, um, this, this kind of uh, prompted by partly by what Sean said about the Human Federation, because I haven't heard that too much. But at that time, I put up a page on Human Federation in the late 90s. This is before Google. And we used um, something called Alta Vista. And mm, what well, I, I did was that. <laughs> when I did a search on Human Federation, there was one page that came up. Mm-hmm. One page. And that was mine. And awesome. and I, I checked over the years. And, and you know what came up, started coming up uh, later with Human Federation? was It was um, comic books. that and But it was kind of depicted correctly in that it was the humans out beyond the earth and Mm -hmm. still bound together by this federation. And um, some people think that that came from Star Trek or something, but it didn't. Mm. It came from me and uh, it was in the late 1990s. The um, um, some people asked me, where should it be? So uh, I I first proposed in the United States and then uh, there was there were some uh, four, um, people from Europe on it, and, and they didn't like that. And so I searched around, and, and I, I actually put out some feelers, and I wrote a letter to the mayor of um, a mayor of a, a major city in in, in uh, Australia, and um, he wrote back, and it says it's in Western Australia, and he said, "Well, you know, you have to get the approval of the Western Australian government and the national government." but we think it'd be okay. Um, this is the city of Perth. Yeah. And I, I like, okay. I was interested in Perth because, uh, you know, we're looking at source to plowshares, right? That's one of the things we want to do. We want to have a boneyard and, and they, they have lots of dry land to, 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 you know, take equipment to, and it's near the, it's near the ocean. So you should be able to, you know, bring uh, all the boats in there and then just start, start unloading. So anyway, that was kind of part of the idea, but that, that is the, that's, that's kind of the standing. That's the only place that I know of that has said, yeah, we'll host it. Um, but uh, now what was your question, Joe? Um, just an intro, just a basic pitch, basically. Right. Uh, uh, basic, basically, yeah, it's source to plowshares. That's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and pieces of human right. You know, the, the, uh, the, the U S constitution and, and is, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as a right to peace. Um, the, the, the federal government has the right to uh, send, send citizens to war, but they have no right to peace. And right. so my idea was that we need to burn that into the Constitution. And, of course, it won't be any good if it's unilateral with the United States. You've got to have um, agreement uh, with other countries and one of the things that, that a lot of people have thought is that, well, gee, we, we could make we could come up with that in the United States, and then then we can't get any other countries. But actually, history shows that it, the opposite is true. Because it, it certainly does. A hundred years ago, um, Wilson proposed a League of Nations, and you know that that um, by the mid '30s, I think something like 58 nations had joined, and that includes Italy, Japan. And Germany, they were in it, and people were expecting the United States to join, 
And the the uh, the Senate said, there's no way. There's no way because this negates the role of the commander in chief and, and all of that. Uh, we, we lose our sovereignty. We, you know, other countries have been willing to give up a little, a little part of their sovereignty to, to go for collective security. And the United States had said no 100 years ago, although all these other countries were, were willing to do it. And the, the outcome of that failure was that Japan, Italy, Germany left the, left the League of Nations. And then you got World War II. Yeah, we know what uh, happened after that, yeah. And so it, it's a horrific error on the part of, uh, of, of this country, America, to think that um, we want peace and nobody else does that. Nobody else does. That, that's it's The opposite is true. And so um, that's both constitutions have a clause that, that peace is a human right and that and that um, countries would not have the right to declare war or send your kids to war or anything like that. And it would ban, um, I know one of your questions had, had to do with uh, uh, weapons. Uh, uh, the, the U.S. Constitution that I have drafted eliminates the, the Second Amendment, of course, but um, doesn't eliminate all, all it leaves it to the states to, for, for handguns and so forth. But as far as military weaponry, that would be illegal across the board. Um, citizens have no, there's no justification for citizens to have military weaponry. And so that would be completely banned. Um, so that's, that's a realization uh, uh, that, that you have to do both. If you're going to have peace, you have to have, you've, and what we have now is international anarchy. There's no, there's nobody, there's no referee. We've, we've been sort of the world cop, right? Mm-hmm. And not done a very good job because Vietnam, Afghanistan, these are prime examples of, of um, wars that we were unwinnable. And, and, and fraudulent. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, there needs to be, I mean, in Europe, they, they tried to come up with the International Criminal Court, but the United States isn't going to join that. So we, we, have to, we have to somehow come up with constitutions that, that are acceptable to both the United States and um, enough nations. It's, it's, the whole world doesn't have to, but certainly the major powers do. And um, so we think we can, that, that's the goal, is to get enough of them so that others will join because you need the major powers. And that, that's, you could also say that that was true for the United States because, um, for example, when, when the convention happened in 1787, Rhode Island just said, we're not going to go. And, and you can't do it because it has to be unanimous, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, they just did it anyway. And, and so, uh, but, but they knew that to get the Constitution ratified, they needed New York. They needed uh, um, Virginia. They needed the major countries. And, and even if they, they put in there uh, that nine states had to join in order for the United States to exist, and uh, which is not three-fourths, by the way. Article 5 says three-fourths, but nine over 16 is 69%. But they didn't yeah. go by percentages. They, they knew they had to have New York, and they had to have the other a couple of other major states. And, and right now, uh, I think that that we don't we don't need a certain percentage of countries to join. You know, obviously we need the major powers, the the, the yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I, I see the parallel you're drawing there. Um, mm -hmm. What What do you think, Sean? Well, I think I, I think the the yeah we have our our hawks and our hardliners and our nationalists and people who would want nothing to do with any of that. But uh, I, I still I still say that there is power in the proposal, and I wanted to. I wanted to point out for our listeners that there that all of this documentation is in the frequently asked questions section has a lot more information at the answer .fyi, and the full text of the new constitutions are also there. Um, so that's the answer .fyi, and we'll put that link also in the show notes. Yeah, we definitely will do that. Um, in the in the video introduction on your site, Alan, you make uh, the very strong point that the purpose of government can be summed up in the four words from the Declaration of Independence, quote, to secure these rights, unquote. Since there are widely divergent views as to what those rights and words imply, I want to get more specific. I'm going to name key principles of in the US Constitution, and I would like to discuss what could be improved and how your proposed Constitution, Alan, addresses these core principles. There are popular sovereignty, limited government, separation of powers, checks and balances, federalism, and of course, our favorite here at the Radical Secular, the separation of church and state. Now, I know you're super excited about strategies for getting this new constitution actually adopted, and there's nothing wrong with thoughts experiments. We love those here in our show, but we sorely need a sea change in our government. So I want to hear your specific plans for making that happen. First, though, I want to make sure our listeners really understand in detail exactly what it is you're proposing. And let's start with the first core principle, popular sovereignty, meaning that the people are ultimately the source of the authority of their government and can abolish that government if they choose so. This principle is truly at the core of democratic slash republican form of government. What can you tell our viewers about how your constitutional vision is an improvement for the protection of popular sovereignty? Well, um, the whole thing is based on popular sovereignty and it's not these, this isn't something that exists apart from uh, this constitution. I mean, this, our current constitution was based on popular sovereignty in that um, the country was founded not by going to the, the powers that exist whether it's uh, uh, in Europe or, or, you know, Mexico or, or anywhere around here, it was it was that the people could decide this themselves, and um, that overrides anything else. And, and and that was that was stated in the Declaration of Independence. That whenever people think that uh, the the, the government isn't living up to uh, what they think it should be, they have the right to to replace it. So um, we haven't, we were kind of feel like uh, in, for the last 230 years that we did a pretty good job and, and we haven't had a serious reason to exercise popular sovereignty. And we, there is now, we feel that, that, that the, there's nobody in government that's going to initiate this. Um, and uh, I'll make a segue here to, to General MacArthur, who was, uh, you know, when, when World War II ended and for his last uh, 15 years, 20 years after that, he advocated tirelessly for the complete abolition of war. 
And when one of his speeches, he says, when will some great, you know, some, some person of power decide it's time? And I think that he was wishing that, that maybe Eisenhower would, mm-hmm. you know, because he, you know, he, he was uh, the general that, that he felt probably would become president and did. But, um, but Eisenhower didn't have the wherewithal to, to, to do that, although he did state that that, that was an ultimate goal. Um, he didn't have a plan for, for uh, how to, how to uh, make that happen. So it's, but, but it's, it's, it's wrong to think that, that some great leader is going to do this. It's, this is up to the people. The, the people have to do this. You know, the, the great leaders in, in this world right now are pretty well off. They're, they've got cushy <laughs> mm-hmm. positions, and, right. and they're, not, they're not willing to give it up. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, – it's going to take a grassroots movement that grows and grows and grows until the leaders have to go along with it. And so that's the idea of popular sovereignty. It's not something that we we uh, hang our shingle on and say, you know, this this is a right that we have. That's already that's already been done. That you know, that's in the that's in the Declaration of Independence. Basically, um, it's, it's up to the people to do this. It's up to the people right now to exercise popular sovereignty. That they I they see. have they they have that strength. They have that capability. They just have to be convinced that now is the time to do it. And it's it's we have more tools to to exercise that than ever. I mean, the people didn't have, you know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have all of these tools we have right now. And and you know, we can right. have these video conferences and so forth. Uh, it costs nothing really. Um, so um, all this stuff exists now that didn't exist. We didn't the the, the, the potential wasn't there so much. Um, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, that exists today. So, um, and we have more reason to do it today, and we have more capability to do it. So, um, people have to be convinced that now's the time and that, that we have the right idea to move forward and the things that the people want. And so, in, in the United States, for example, um, Ber- well, some of this. Was, was stated by Bernie, you know, in his campaign, but Bernie didn't have really, he was weak on specifics. Um, so, uh, for example, healthcare, I mean, I've got, I've got healthcare is a human right in the, in the U.S. Constitution as I've drafted it. It's, it's number 13. And those things are spelled out. Um, we, 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 Roe v. Wade is, is uh, you know, the fact that, that, women have the choice, the ability to choose, that's actually fairly popular, despite Texas. It's, yeah. it's fairly popular. Yeah. And so we want to federalize it. And, and in, in, the, um, in the draft, that's, that's, that's Clause 5 in Article 13. And that was, mm-hmm. that was actually written by a constitutional scholar by the name of Michael Dorff. And I don't, I don't mind mentioning his name because um, that was in the public discussion on Facebook. I, I asked him, can you can you write can you write this up for us? And by the way, Nancy Pelosi asked for this language hmm. um, recently. She's you know from listening to Texas, she said she, she asked for constitutional language to federalize 
this uh, Roe v. Wade, and I already had it. She didn't know that. But um, I already had this language, and I already put it in there. So, um, but there are a lot of things like that. That that uh, there's like 50 changes in the concept that I that I uh, incorporated, and they yeah. need to be in there. And I would say that racism is is maybe the worst problem we've ever had. And yeah. We um, with uh, the treatment of, of the Native Americans, calling mm-hmm. them Indians. Mm-hmm. They they called them Indians so they could. You know, and I think, if, for example, a Trump supporter once, I saw him on on tape going up to a Native American and saying, go back to where you came from. Yeah, and yeah that's, that's that, the kind of craziness. That was used a psychological trick Absurd. to make them look like they're foreigners. Yeah, and, yeah. And th- it was known that they weren't from India 200 years later when they drafted the Constitution, but they kept it in there anyway well, because— yeah, and this brings up a point that uh, that I, I wanted to make, mm-hmm. and that is that from the very beginning, okay, uh, there were there was disenfranchisement of anyone who wasn't white, uh, male, and landowner, right? That's basically who the Constitution was written for. I think you acknowledged that on your in your previous video, and but what I was surprised about is that. You know, in the new constitution that you propose, there's still non-proportional representation of two senators from each state, and that gives a permanent advantage to low population states. And the second is the Electoral College, which has allowed the election of five presidents in U.S. history who did not win the popular vote. Now, the reason why we have all this mistreatment and racism and all that is because of the dominance of these low population states. And so why did you leave those uh, structurally undemocratic provisions in the new constitution and how does that, how does that how do you resolve that well, with the idea of popular the electoral, sovereignty? Co- the electoral college as it's written in in uh, the draft is much different it's not the same and you have to you have to take a careful look at it to see how it oh, works okay it is oh how so it's much different um there won't be the the prop the probability of a uh, popular vote winner our loser winning the election is very, very low because of the way it's uh, structured. But I, I don't want to get into those. Those that's really nitty gritty details. Okay. But as far as the, the power of the, the the low population states, I want to this. I want to make this point very, very clear. When they got together to draft a new constitution, um, equal suffrage for the states was the mantra. Mm-hmm. And that meant right. that 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 Connecticut would have just as much power as New York in the, in the legislature. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, it was hard to come up with a compromise on that. And that was, it's called the Connecticut compromise. And what it said was that um, we're going to have equal suffrage in the Senate, but we'll have proportional representation in the house. So it was a pretty good compromise. And, and it does leave um, a proportional, uh, you know, it's, it is, it leaves the small states with, with more power than, than they would have under uh, equal suffrage or, or in, if they were both proportional. But it's still, it's still a pretty good compromise. And um, as far as the, the, the presidential elections, um, as I was mentioning to Sean, you really have to look at the way. I mean, I, I wrote a whole article on elections, and that's that's actually my where I'm 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 kind of recognized as a, as an authority. Is um, I started the, the Open Source Voting Foundation in 2000, uh, 
in 2000, actually. And right as soon as the ink was dry, when when uh, Gore uh, Gore lost, so, so there's, a, there's a whole article on elections, and and, and it's, it's it's quite a bit different. There won't be a, it eliminates the spoiler uh, role because there will be a runoff. It's a true runoff. It's not instant runoff because instant runoff is 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 uh, error prone, and so you have a, an actual runoff. Anyway, it's it's uh, Article Seven is it it, it um, carries in a lot of experience that I had in all of these um, forums that I was on over you know since two thousand and lots of these discussions, and you have to read it very carefully to understand um, why it's it's much much better and it's it's not the same system. Uh, yeah, really. Well, I so, think I, we, um, we should definitely put something about that in the show notes. And, I, and I'm not trying to be hypercritical here at all, because there's a tremendous amount of great improvements that you have in the Constitution right. about oh, elections. The, the, other, the, other point, the other point I want to make about that is that unlike the, the 1787 Constitution, we are, we are proposing to do this by the book, um, getting three-fourths of the states in the United States. And... Three, they're, they're, uh, most states are small states. Most states are small states. You only need 13 states to, to, to nix anything in, in, as far as a constitutional amendment goes. I mean, that, that, this was the Connecticut Compromise. Mm -hmm. the, the, the 1787 Constitution proceeded after that compromise. It wasn't going to go anywhere because they, they came into that saying equal suffrage for the states. So the, the large states had, had to give them the, the, the Senate as far as equal uh, suffrage to get proportional representation in the House. And um, you're back to square one if you're trying to take that away from them. I don't, I don't think we have a, there is a point to even debate. They're not going to do it. Um, so uh, we've got to let them have... Um, we got to let them have the the, uh, uh, the extra power, and it's it's not a big deal because the big the big states do have all the power. You know, they they you know with uh, with the, uh, legislation and, and 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 frankly with with uh, electoral college, they still have California still has uh, you know fifty what. In, yeah, in but you've seen those maps though. The, you've seen the maps where it shows Los Angeles County, and then it shows like twenty states, right? Los Angeles County has more people than all those than 20 states. That, that's and that's a, an emotional appeal. It doesn't mean anything. Um, the, the Because that's the Senate. It's not It's not the whole government. It's That's the Senate. Yeah, and but you see what's going on in the Senate right now. I mean, you see what's going on. They're blocking everything and only because of right. two senators. And and so it's like, I, I, I get this, so right? We're going to blow that away. We're going to blow all that away. All this stuff, they're, they're going to deny Roe v. Wade or, or they're going to they're, they're going to allow Texas to deny Roe v. Wade. We're not going to let that happen. So mm. so the, the new constitution is going to blow all that away. And those guys are all going to be fired, by the way. You know, okay. this, is, this is the new government. All those people are gone. So, so, so in terms of the, the proportionality for states, this uh, state suffrage, the reason to keep it is just strategic, you're saying, so that you can get three quarters of the states to, to go along with this new constitution. Is that, is that correct? Yes. 
I mean, that's, that's a good part of it, but I think that's something you can't, like I said, the, the 1787 constitution proceeded from the con the Connecticut compromise. And I think if you try to take that away, you're back to square one with the whole thing. And, and I don't know where you're going because what we're really after, what we're really after are there, 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 there are a couple of um, uh, articles on, on, on um, equality in both the, the, Human Federation and the United States. You know, there's no statement of equality in the United States Constitution. None. Right. And that has that has allowed us to, you know, to kill the gooks, the Japs, the the, the you know, and 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 to to look at uh, brown people as inferior. Um, and and we have no recognition of the the larger issue of uh, um, equality of all people and. In Japan, I don't know if you know this story, but in the um, Treaty of Versailles, Japan asked for a uh, an addition of a statement of equality in the Treaty of Versailles. They they wanted that they wanted a recognition that that people of all races are are. are, oh, are I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, and it, and it, and it's a and if you notice. Japan was on our side in World War One, and they became our enemy in World War Two. And this is in no small part the reason that they they were they were livid that that uh, because they made that proposal and it looked like it would be in there and then it then it was denied. It is not in the Treaty of Versailles. Um, so we could continue to to look down on Japanese as well as Chinese and and and. Uh, people of color in general and that is that has enabled uh uh the the war machine to i mean if you look at if you look at uh the the military industrial complex and they're building uh new weapon systems they're projecting you're going to be fighting the chinese or they're going to be fighting these other wars and so forth but they're always they're always brown people all right it's or always people. people of color always yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so and, we need to establish that. I mean, the 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 equal suffrage in the Senate is a, is a tiny, tiny issue compared to those kinds of issues. Yes um, and no, though, because because here's the thing: is that if you have a fifty-fifty Senate, all right, right now, the Democrats are representing forty million more people than the Republicans with fifty Senate members, right? So it is a permanent minority rule, and. I appreciate the pickle that we're in, though, in terms of trying to get this ratified by 75 percent of the states. Uh, I, I, you have to throw them a bone. But ultimately, you're in a, still in a situation where you lack proportional representation. And that poses a huge problem, especially because if you're worried about discrimination against people of color, those low population states are almost overwhelmingly white. And so they tend to block policies that would help people of color. And they tend to be very anti-urban in their rhetoric. What do you have to say about that? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, the draft that I have out there is, is what I put together. And mm -hmm. I, I uh, spent a lot of time over many years, as, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, the, the first talks about a new constitution, both for the world and the United States, I was involved in that in the 90s. Well, mm -hmm. actually, the 80s as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can, you can find a speech I gave in 1986. And actually, I got very good feedback from Ron Dellums, 
who was um, chair of the Armed Services Committee, and um, he didn't comment on anything except except for the proposal for uh, eliminating uh, war making powers. That's that's what he commented on. And the letter, his letter is on my website, or it's on the on my Facebook, by the way. But um, so it goes back a long ways, and I I spent a lot of time trying to build a team of, of law professors, you know, prominent law professors. And I could never get them to, together. I could never get them. I could never get anybody to commit to take control of it. And, and I had to do this myself. I had to just, you know, make it happen. And the idea right now is that we'll get delegates. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the constitutions where there are going to be uh, uh, put before the states and the, the countries is not what's on our website right now. It, there's a whole process that has to happen. The delegates, we have to recruit, we have to get delegates mm-hmm. and from all the states and all the countries. And they're the ones, they're the customers. They're, they're the ones that are going to be, have the final say on what goes in it. And I don't, okay. I don't yet know, but I mean, I had to put something out there to start with. Okay. Um, no, fair, it's a, fair point. Fair point. And, and it's a great and start. I if we just name off all the stuff that you did do here, okay, like mandatory universal voting, you've banned gerrymandering and set up computer-drawn uh, districts by algorithm. Uh, you've provided for people to be able to vote electronically on their personal computing devices. Uh, you've got these, one of my favorite things that I love is your procedure for vetting the skills of candidates and having them examined by, uh, by experts to see if they understand the, the government that they're, that they're trying to, that they're proposing no, to that's run, radical. Right? That's, but it's great though. And, yeah, and, and then you incorporate definitely. also uh, some of the provisions of the Voting Rights Act into the constitution itself. And you put in place public funding of elections, strict contribution limits, all this stuff is super great, and I could I could also see that being really tough to sell to people who have uh, heavily vested interest in the status quo. Well, anyway, we could talk about this for the rest of the show, but let's move forward. Okay, as, as my as my job as a moderator, I got to like be the tough guy here. Um, let's address one of the key features that is notably mentioned by conservatives: uh, that's limited government. The idea that legalized force and power is restricted through delegates, excuse me, is restricted through delegated and enumerated authorities. Uh, what goes along with that are the rights of the individuals that are enshrined into law. This question is a thorny one because it is at the center of the discursive strategies the right uses to try to restrict government from ensuring human basic needs and limiting the powers of corporations. So question three, Alan, the question I have for you is, how do you address this conundrum? How does your constitution better balance the need of society, the public good, with the autonomy of the individual? Very good question. Um, there are a few things that I've written in there that, that should be obvious. Um, I have a whole um, section on, local, on, on uh, local governors and strengthening, basically strengthening local, local government. Um, also, you know, we have the military industrial complex and oil are both um, tools of the, of, uh, the, the, the rich and powerful. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we, the, to a certain extent, we're ruled by the military industrial complex. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna erase that. It's going to be erased. Do you understand? Um, so uh, um, the, 
we're going to we're going to shift power to local government more and more. And also, when we move to renewable energy, there's no more uh, bowing down to oil oil companies and to to being um, we're no longer dictated by um, foreign powers that who you know that we have to buy oil from anymore. But still, um, we're not out from underneath the this conundrum oil conundrum. And we're going, we're going to be completely done with that. And I might also add, this is something that's not apparent, but, but in California, we, we did this. It's in law now. And uh, that, that we're doing away with non-renewable energy. And um, it's in the law. And I, I was involved in that to, uh, for a long, long time. And it was in 2018, we got SB 100. And California has a lot of power, and, and uh, other states aren't, are, are going to go along with it. And we're banning the sale of uh, gasoline-powered automobiles by 2035. And, and the whole industry is, 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 is moving that way now. So um, and I'll, I'll just tell you a story now. I don't mean to take up too much of your time, but... Um, go for it. Because some people think, well, California is California is this uh, bizarre, different place, and so forth. But but in in, the, in Jerry Brown's first term, and this is in the 1970s, um, there was a uh, luncheon, and and part of the topic was the Sun Desert nuclear power plant. And um, across the table from Jerry was a, a, a Lawrence Berkeley Lab um, scientist. And he said, you know, if you just if you just made refrigerators as efficiently as they could be, because the, the compressors, they, they know how to make compressors that are twice as efficient. He says you could you could save more energy than that nuclear power plant could ever produce. And Jerry Brown went back to the office and he, you know, he's got quite a technical staff and they did a lot of research and the Lawrence Berkeley lab guy was right. He knew what he was talking about. And so he, he, made, um, he made regulations and he said, you're not going to sell um, refrigerators unless they're, they're, they use about half as much power as they do now, because we know you can do it. We know you can do it. And all of, all of the major makers, Maytag, Westinghouse, everybody said, oh, you guys in California, you're communists, you're crazy, we're not going to do it, you're, you're not going to have, you're not going to. We're not going to be selling. Where are you going to make? You're going to have to make your own refrigerators. And then, um, eventually, somebody said, "Yeah, we, we could do it." You know, and, <laughs> you and think, <laughs> and they all complied. All of them did, but it wasn't just California because they didn't have a California refrigerator and then a and then an inefficient one for Nevada. It didn't right. make any sense. Uh, yeah. So they all did, not only yeah. not only California, not only the United States, but the whole world. Well, and the same and, is true for California emissions are, standards, right? I mean, the, the California yeah. led the emission standards for, for decades, really, and brought the whole country along with it. So. And they're, they're doing this with renewable energy. And it's it's there. You can find an article where Massachusetts is saying we're going to ban gasoline powered new sales of gasoline powered cars by 2035. And, and, and then all of these other states are, are going along the same way. And there's a lot of countries in Europe that have already adopted that. So um, it's a done deal. And, and now all of the manufacturers are, 
uh, major manufacturers are saying we're going to have a, a, a electric car lineup by 2030 or so. So um, it's it's in in a sense um, my my draft is saying we're going to move to renewable energy and this is the solar era after all. But it's happening anyway. But but right. it's it's a good thing to have it in law so that people everybody knows where we're going. There's no 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 question about it and that um that gas stations are going to go away and and you know you can make your you can plan for that some people don't believe it i and i still have discussions once in a while and people don't believe you'll they, they think the gasoline stations will be here forever and they're not going to be they're going to go they're going to you know go look at buying a, a getting a video from blockbuster you know yeah. they're gone it's obsolete and, and gasoline cars are going to be obsolete. It's hard for people to know that. But um, it's good to, to nail these things down, and then we're, we're going to do that. And, um, and that's going to – and getting back to, to uh, um, power in the communities, um, it's when, – when we're being – we're getting our energy locally, it's going to be a lot different than, than uh, um, being dominated by a few large oil companies. So, uh, because energy is everywhere, every 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 job that anybody has, it requires energy to to make that job happen and to function, and uh, it's it's extremely important. And if we're um, a renewable energy economy, is going to look a lot different. And yeah, one of the features of of, of the of the um, price structure, for example, in, in in a renewable energy economy, is that costs are going to stabilize at some point. And they're going to go down mm-hmm. because the price of the the pr- price of the basic energy is free, and it's we're only paying for these uh, energy collection systems and tr- distribution, and we get we're getting better and better at that. And as we get better, the price goes down. Whereas yeah. we're in an opposite uh, uh, field right now with 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 fossil fuel, it's going up, and. There's nowhere uh, as as it becomes less available, it's going to continue to go up, and and uh, so so it's it's hard to imagine how different um, the the solar era is going to be and the solar economy is going to be, but but it's 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 going to be a lot better and and, yeah. and cleaner, you know. Yeah. So, so there's. A- there's a lot to unpack there, but one of the things I want to take it back to the question, and I think what you, I hear you saying is that we need to vi- reinvigorate the public good. We provide stimulus in terms of regulations, so forth, to the private realm, and then they go at it and they do the thing that makes sense once that happens. Uh, but ultimately, what we really need to do is think pragmatically here. This is a problem that needs to be solved. We need green energy. And so that's the role that the government should have, and the Constitution should be supporting that. That's what I'm hearing you say. Exactly. You know, energy is, is weaved throughout our, our infrastructure. Absolutely. And, yeah. And it, it is a matter of public policy. You can't you can't you can't have bring power to people's homes and, and to their vehicles um, without public policy. It's it's it, it just cuts through everything. Yeah. I, so I think. Yeah. yeah. You need absolutely. The, the, the governments need to step up to that and 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 uh, and. And we have to we have to figure out where we're going, and and nail that down so that everybody knows this is where we're going. I, I do want to add something about separation of powers that that um, is is fairly important that is included there, and that is um, I don't know if you noticed that that the um, the executive 
is divided by the president has a lot less power. And this also gets this also goes back to to concerns about the um, small states having too much power in electing the president. In, in, in our draft, in the Constitution, as, as, I've, as I've outlined it, the, the president has a much, he's no longer commander in chief, and he has a much, uh, much less power. I mean, right now, the president has life and death authority over everybody, right? Mm-hmm. That, that won't exist. And the other thing is, in this, the, the, the uh, executive is divided. There's an attorney general is now uh, an executive of the of the um, executive branch, and is is elected. Um, and and in that election, that's that is and it's laid out there how he's going to be elected. There's no there's no um, electoral college, right? It's it's, it's purely right. that's true. That's a very so, powerful position. So I'm glad yeah. you mentioned uh, separation of powers. That's actually the next question I was going to ask you. So we got with that, with that one covered. Sean, do you have any thoughts about it? Well, yeah, I mean, I have my own. Like, I think that's it, it, it is very um, like when I thought about this, when I thought about your first thought about your idea of making the attorney general and executive, you know, like light bulbs are going on because it is such a, a powerful position. We think back to some of the various attorneys general, like, you know, from Bill Barr to um what was was Reagan, Ed Meese? Um, Meese, yeah. And then and then the other guy, Ashcroft. Ashcroft was was terrible. I mean, you think about how what what kind of an influence these guys have on the country, and it's super important. And so and, and having them ha- have a different term so of ten years, so they overlapped. I thought that was that was very creative and good too, because there are overlapping administrations. You have some continuity of justice, and you also have a justice department that people can count on, right? Um, so, I mean, I have my own specific judicial reforms in mind. I think I might've mentioned it in the email. I don't want to go into too much detail, but you know, I think, I think jury trials are a big problem. And I don't know if, if you agree, if you had any thoughts on that, because I think it's almost seems like it's impossible to get an impartial jury and you, jurors almost need training. You'd almost don't want them to be just peers because there aren't enough peers who know how to listen to evidence and, and really evaluate fairly. So I don't know what, do you, sure. does, does that have any this, merit? <laughs> this is the kind of thing that is the detail that I didn't get into because I haven't yet recruited the law professors that I, you know, I've had, I have, I have 200 law professors on my Facebook mm-hmm. and I could chat with them once in a while, but so far, I haven't been able to get them to really commit to to taking this on. Although three law professors have did contribute to that document, the draft. I don't know if you noticed that Dan Farber of Berkeley, and uh, but Dan did it because I'm a friend of Dan Kamen, and Dan Kamen is is a friend of Dan Farber, so uh, we kind of helped pull him in. But and he he did a few things, and, and you'll see. Uh, the, the, for example, the Seventh Amendment, um, he, 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 he worked that over. And um, uh, a few other habeas corpus, he, he, he revised that. And so some of, some of the stuff in there is from real constitutional scholars. But uh, the, the uh, thing about jury trials, I think, is, is, um, would be helpful if we had some actual legal scholars on board. And, but I think that we will. And I think that, that as I said, we, we don't have delegates yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have, we have formative delegations, but to have an actual delegate, we need 
what we what we need is is the buy-in from a uh, head of state that says, you know, we're not asking them to be delegates at this point, but just to be uh, to be in the conversation about the the new draft. And so some of those things, some of the nitty gritty things, we haven't gotten to. Okay. And I would. Yeah. I'm not going to get to it because I think you need to 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 understand uh, jury nullification, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what jury nullification is, but um, those are those are important issues that that I wouldn't be qualified to really um, yeah. say much about. There's going to be a million details to work out. That's for sure. I mean, a million different yeah, subsections. Yeah. Not to mention that if you if you do. Uh, draft a new constitution. You're also talking about now having to reevaluate evaluate all this case law that that was decided by the old Supreme Court under the old constitution, right? So, what happens to that? Well, they did that before, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, obviously, there's a whole new body of case law, and and some of it some of it is not going to be relevant. Um, you know, if you look at all this stuff having to do with right to choose, mm-hmm. it's all gone. Right. And yeah. and a lot of stuff about energy, about pipelines and about all of those. A whole lot of case law just isn't going to be applicable anymore. There'll be a lot of new things. Um, but um, yeah, uh, good point. Good point. So um, let me just continue. You mentioned, Alan, uh, about presidential powers limits. Right. And I think I want to talk a little bit about that, about the checks and balances system uh, that allows each branch government uh, you know, to uh, amend or veto acts of another branch, essentially. So to prevent any one branch, like the executive, from exerting too much power. But that, and, and one of the things here is the judicial review that happens in our, in our government. One of your proposals is to create a new co-executive role with the president for elected attorney general, as we mentioned. I think that's a really interesting idea. Uh, so question five, Alan, what is your reasoning for the change to the attorney general's role more specifically? Um, like what, what, how do you envision this making a difference in the checks sure. t- specifically about checks and balances? Okay. Here, here's, here's one thing that, that you will, um, well, for example, one, one prominent professor that I know is on my Facebook, by the way, John, Yu, and he's a mm-hmm. conservative. He's on, he's on Fox news all the time. And they'll, they'll introduce him as, um, assistant, uh, attorney general under George Bush. You know, and you made the point that that Donald Trump was the chief law enforcement officer of the United States. Okay, and you have to kind of think about that. Here's a guy that is doesn't know the law, doesn't care about the law, is only looking to how to get around it. And he's the chief law enforcement officer. But that's the structure we have right now. Good point. Uh, Yeah. and And it only. It only kind of works if the president respects the the that that, that separation. Mm-hmm. Certainly, it wasn't the case with with uh, Trump, but in and and uh, Levinson wrote a, an op-ed piece, and he and he talked about how ridiculous that that point was. I mean, he made this point. Uh, he made the same point that the president is the chief law enforcement officer, and he said that in all the states. That's not the way it is. The, 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 the attorney general is elected. And so, but, but uh, Levinson didn't say we should have an elected um, attorney general. But that's, that was my takeaway. I, th- I thought, yeah, it should be. And we should stagger it so that he's not elected at the same time. 
So they're, they're, that's another part of the separation that that the, the attorney general is going to serve a ten, one 10 year term and, and, and will never be elected at the same time the president is elected. He's probably yeah. going to serve two or maybe three uh, uh, administrations. And, and he's not going to be looking to get reelected because it's a one 10 year term. And, it's, and, and the attorney generals are going to be uh, candidates are going to be chosen from a pool of, as I put in the, as I, and this is my wording. I, I just came up with this, but the, the, there would be a commission on attorney general selection that would, would be a, a part of Congress, and they would select 20 people from a minimum of 10 states so that it's not always, you know, so enough states get a shot at it. And then, um, then there's no campaigning, no campaigning, no, no, hmm. nothing. There's right. only, there are only um, forums where, you know, they, they each get an equal shot at, at presenting their case and okay. getting themselves known. Yeah. And that will be publicized so that everybody can read all you want about the, the attorney general, general candidates. And, um, and then, uh, and then there will be a runoff election and approval voting. In other words, if you go to the polls to vote for attorney general, the first time you're just going to check off the ones you approve. That's approval right. voting. Right. And then the, 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 the two candidates that have the most, and it's not party. There's no parties, Part of, are part of this, and Democrats, Republicans, it's, it's irrelevant. And so that there's a, a runoff of election, and then the, the final election between the top two candidates. And in and uh, we don't spend a lot of time on that. I think I gave a, uh, um, you know, a month from from when the candidates are selected to the final election. So it, it happens kind of quickly, but but everybody gets a. You know the 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 discussions for you know who attorney what attorney generals what candidates for attorney generals there might be that will be going on continuously over a long period of time and so okay. um, yeah and so having people, having that position like that you know where it's staggered between administrations it means that the attorney general is working for the country not for the president it's not this loyalty right. personal appointment thing and that that that's a huge difference and it's party neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's continue on a little bit uh, alongside with checks and balances. On, on another level, it's the idea of federalism. We have a, we have a federalist system, unlike something a country like China, which is a unitary government, where the central government is, has far more control than the, the provinces do. In our society, in our, gov in our polity, uh, the states do have a certain amount of power, and that's enshrined in the Constitution. Uh, how would would you change that or how would you tweak that in any way? We're not we're not really changing that much because okay. this has nothing to do with state governments um, in what what we have to recognize here is that the states made the Constitution. Right. That's it's the state's decision to make the Constitution. It's the state's decision to amend it. And in this case, we're making multiple amendments at the same time, and essentially, well, we're, we're replacing it. But but um, this is a state's state's decision. So so it's a reassertion of states. Yes. So you're reaffirming uh, federalism, right? Okay, exactly. And um, also taking uh, the military-industrial complex out of the picture, which is, as I say, we're practically run by the military-industrial complex. 
and they're very clever in the way that they place you know the in the contracts they're placing oh, yeah, all over um, at every state <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're buying, constituencies they're buying, state, they're buying state governments that way mm-hmm. so um that's that's uh, the military industrial complex is more of a threat to democracy than anything and eisenhower eisenhower made that warning when he when he uh, right. left absolutely we, we should that's definitely a speech do- that's a speech that i practically got memorized i mean it's one yeah. of the greatest speeches ever given we should Absolutely. definitely devote a whole show to the military industrial complex. We really should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is, uh, an amazing amount of diversity in the world and governments in the world about that. This this blend this, uh, the sharing of power between the central government and, you know, the provinces or, or local entities or whether they be provinces of state or whatnot. And, you know, it, it think, makes me think about the, the global constitution, right? The, the world constitution, because we would have to have a very robust federal process there, wouldn't you say? Well, um, here's, here's one of the big differences. Okay. The, the federal, the, the World Federation um, does not regulate commerce, okay? That's, that's a very different thing. In in uh, in the in the U.S. Constitution, um, it's stated very clearly that Congress regulates commerce, and that's yep. that's a that's a very large function in government. Sure and, is, and the the, um, the Human Federation does not do that, and the Human Federation has a very narrow um, role. I mean, it's very powerful, and and by the way, I wrote I wrote the sovereignty statement. I don't know if you know what it says. You know what it no, says? Go ahead and tell us. It says this constitution is the supreme sovereign for all people choosing to be governed by it. Mm-hmm. And that that um, it's it's rule of law. In other words, it's stating that we go by the law, and the law is sovereign. And it's it's up to the people that choose. And this is the other thing that came out of the um, founding of this country is that it's it's. The people have to choose to be governed by it, the government. And we've forgotten that. People don't remember that. They, people look at the, the government as being all-powerful and we can't do anything about it. But that we were based on the, the – this country was based on the idea that, that you have the right to choose to be governed by it. And that was the original idea, and that's what, that's what we put I in, see. In, in, the, in the Human Federation. And it is – so it's the supreme sovereign – but it has a, a limited number of things that it's concerned with. Um, okay. I and, think it's, uh, it's important when you, though, when you talk about that, because we hear a lot of this from, from, you know, right libertarians, the idea, well, I never signed a social contract. Right. And there are people who will say there are the sovereign citizen movement in the United States. There are people who claim that they are not bound by the government because they didn't choose to be bound by it. So it's a very, it's a very careful uh, rhetorical line to walk there when you say consent of the governed or agree to be governed by, because this is a majority. I mean, d- democracy is majority rule, more or less. No, 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 with, no, no. With, with minority rights, with minority rights, though, right? Obviously protected by the Constitution. But you know, you can, you couldn't opt out as a, as a if you live in the United States and you are bound by the Constitution, whether you want it or not, right? I mean. Right. Well, here, I want to back up on one thing you said about majority rule. The 
Democracy has three main features in my in my theory, my my constitutional theory, and they're, they're not majority rule. One is equality. Mm-hmm. You can't have you can't have a democracy without equality. Right. Second is rule of law. In other words, you we don't go by um, some individual being uh, have some magic power, right? Talk to Jesus or, or whatever, signing, signing, signing the Bible or, you know, that doesn't wash. We have rule of law and we have, um, the, the third thing is, um, rights mm-hmm. and rights are spelled out and the government does things creates laws to secure those rights. And and you have to have those three things to have a democracy. Um, yeah. uh, majority rule is not necessarily one of them. Well, and, fully, and, fully understood, though. But the, my, my point is, is it creates a it creates a conflict when you say consent of a governed and then you have people who are willing to say, well, I don't want I don't consent. And but there are well, a small number of people. They think they can opt out of society and you know, there's a story just recently about someone who says they don't recognize property rights and they could go change the locks on someone's house because the the property was on, you know, land that was, it's, it's like an old land claim. My point is, is that there, there, there's this sovereign citizen movement, which I'm sure you're aware of, who will use that exact rhetoric to overturn the government. Yeah, they're, they're not going to overturn the government. This is a very, this is a very small people with, Small group of loudmouths, but the um, back to what uh, um, my earlier comment about reaffirming the power of states, we're going to reaffirm the power of citizens, of, of popular sovereignty, that the people, mm-hmm. the people are doing this. And um, people can say, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't involved in it. And, and that they can choose not to be involved in it. But it's, it's the choice of the um it's the choice of the people to make, to exercise their sovereign right to do this. And if, you, if people don't want to exercise that or want to, or, or want to do something else, they can do that. But it's, it's weird. This, this is being established um, knowing that not everybody's, not everybody's going to want to go for it, but it's, it's like when, when this country was founded, it said, the constitution says nine states have to, ratify in order for this constitution to, to form a government. And it was known that some of them weren't going to come on board right away, but they did. You know, Rhode Island, Rhode Island was maybe the last one, but they gave up the whole notion that we're going to veto the you know, whole constitution because we didn't, we didn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And it's illegal. They, they, well, gave I mean, their- they understood their self-interest ultimately, right? The benefit Absolutely. of being part of this. That's ultimately what happened. But I think we do, this is an interesting point. Because we're talking about this, uh, the, this, this, this fundamental idea about the social contract and, and citizen responsibility. And to make it work, to make democracy work, you got to get people to buy into that. And you have to make it worth their while. And, and the idea is that most people will decide out of reason that they're going to do this. Although I think what we're seeing now is there's a lot of actions happening that are not very reasonable, that are really quite uh, irrational. And so there's always that concern, like, for example, with this pandemic and people not abiding by uh, 
public health policies. That is an example of that. Yes, they have, do they have the right to do that when it does impact the whole community? When it does, you know, if you don't get everybody vaccinated, or most people vaccinated, then that the, the pandemic endures. So I think that's the, that's the conundrum. Well, um, this is this is um, this is an interesting point. I think this will come out in the wash, and I, mm-hmm. I think it'll come out in the wash in the same way that. Well, I mean, you, you made the point. People ultimately realize it's in their self-interest to go along with it, because, uh, it, it, and and we're gonna we're gonna create a powerful movement. And by, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip. I want to jump, uh, play uh, play hooky here. I'm not <laughs> going by the book here. But as far as implementing this, we plan to fill stadia. That's what we plan to do. And before we fill stadiums, we have to fill one. And, but before we can fill one stadium, we've got to have um, enough, a lot of live events, smaller live events. So it's the, 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 the answer about how this is going to happen we're going to build up our meetings. You know, um, we're going to have more conferences like this, which will be uh, videotaped and broadcast. And then, um, and then we have live conferences. We, I mean, and I, I, and I go back to my, my experience with Open Voting Consortium. Um, we really became uh, a force to be reckoned with, with when we did our first press conference. And, and my plan was that this was going to go, we were going to be in papers coast to coast. We were going to be on television. We were mm-hmm. going to And then it all happened. All the things that I, I said were going to happen, they all happened. And um, I can see this happening with this also. And we'll, we'll build up to that point um, where we're ready to, to go coast to coast. And then, um, and then we'll go with uh, uh, live events. I think there's no substitute for, for person-to-person contact. And, you know, we can, we can have Zoom. We have to do Zoom now. But um, we're, we're going to go uh, live with, with uh, personal meetings. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've got a few things to learn from Bernie, too. You know, we know, we know how he did it. I don't know if you ever attended any of his, his uh, events, but I saw how I it did. was done. And, and uh, um, we, can do, we can do something very similar and um, and I think we've got we've got the makings of of, uh, of a very powerful movement, and and I think that unlike Bernie, you know Bernie wasn't Bernie was no radical when it comes to you know changing the constitution. He wasn't he wasn't I don't think he ever proposed any amendments. And of course you can't even right now the, the average politician can't even discuss a, a, an amendment because it's going to be shot down. And um, so the, the thing is, we're in a position as they were in in 1787, where they said we can't change the Articles of Confederation. It's 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 irreparable. It's not functional. And they just had to throw it out and put in a new one. And that's what that's the position we're in right now. There's nothing you can do. We are. nothing you can do to save the U.S. government. Well, and, and because like the last time we tried to amend the Constitution was almost 40 years ago right. and it failed and it failed because of this concerted opposition from the right and Phyllis Schlafly and the story that we all know. Right. Um, and so this is something that it's going to. It, yeah, if there's any chance of any 
uh, change on our government level. It's going to have to be through something like this. Yeah, well, and it's it's going to be the same work to 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 put in a new constitution as it would be to change one amendment. amendment. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interesting one point. Yeah, much, you might as yeah, well. I mean, it is no longer a living constitution. It's a static constitution. It, it is the, the 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 principle of being able to change and evolve with the times, which I think the founding fathers had in mind. It, it doesn't function. It stopped right. functioning. Jefferson said, "Every generation deserves a new revolution," and and so we're far beyond that. We we we've passed the point where people people think of the this as a revolutionary government. It's it's no longer revolutionary. It's very stagnant and uh, right. stagnant. Yeah. And there are people who would like to, they would like to form a constitutional convention to take it in the other direction. They would like to take it back to like an 1850 constitution. Right. That's, yeah. that's fine. That has nothing to do with us. No. It has nothing to do with us. They, they, can, they can propose that all, the, all they want. They've got the same problem. They have to get three-fourths to the states. And, and, and they're not going to get 20 blue states going to make this a theocracy. It's just not, not going to happen. Well, um, and speaking of theocracy, I, I think we want to talk more about the actionable stuff, for sure. But before, one last item that I want to talk about first, then we can get to the action. Uh, and that is uh, the issue that we are uh, defined here as uh, a functionally an established secular society. As many of the world's you know, most advanced economic countries are. This is particularly uh, important considering the tenor of the discourse and the policy direction that the GOP has taken, as you both have mentioned a few minutes ago, right? With essentially trying to, the intent of trying to reestablish and solidifying Christian supremacy, what else can you call it? How do we ensure that official secularism uh, is, you know, invigorated in your constitution? Well, um, right. The um, a couple of things about that. One, I didn't I didn't mention. I don't know if Sean mentioned it, but our constitution does say that there shall be no religious test for anybody employed by the government, and um, that is uh, we have that, and, and we we have a we have a secular constitution, and so we need to hang on to that for sure. But the other thing, um, this this is. Some people roll their eyes when I talk about it, but did you read the Paul Kurtz quote? I saw that you quoted him, but I don't remember what it was. Paul Kurtz endorsed the year zero. Um, yes, uh, that's year it. Zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said that why impose a religious calendar on people when, when we don't know if Christ uh, was born or, or even ever existed? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's all based on the myth of his birth, which is pure myth. And yeah. it came, it was, that was constructed centuries after the event. Right. Um, and a lot of people are astonished to know that, that no government um, mentions the, the um, Anno, Anno Domino, the, the, the AD numbering system, until 800. And that was Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. And, and his basic uh, his basic tool to to um, to make the country Christian was to kill anybody that didn't right. want to go wrong. And uh, but that that's Christianity. And um, 
So, uh, and, and I also, I also in, in, uh, I think in one of my letters, um, you know, I, I, I had this website, Zero Zero Campaign, and I, I got, I got thousands of emails. This is, this is in, this is in the 1996 I started this, and, and it lasted all the way to 2000. And, um, um, but that was, all this stuff came out. And, and what, what we found was there is, there's something called Christian triumphalism. And if oh, you yeah. don't hear a lot about it, but you, if you, poke, if you, if you try to tell people you don't want to go by the, the Christian era calendar, which, which celebrates, even though they call it common era, right? They, yeah. Christians are fine with the CE because they think of it as Christian era. And, and, right. and they have a point that the numbering is supposedly based on his birth, which is purely a myth. But, um, uh, um, so, so Kurt said, you're right. Let's just, let's, let's start a new, let's, let's start, let's start a, uh, you know, this is a new era and let's start a new era. So, and that was what, that was what my proposal was from 1996. And it was actually, I was in, I was in all the papers. I wasn't in the New York times, the, uh, on that one, the New York times did an in-depth interview with me in 1999, but they, they didn't, they didn't write the article. They didn't publish the article. I was surprised because it sounded like they were going to. But the Associated Press certainly did. And they wrote an article leading up to 2000. And they wrote one in around New Year's of 2002. And it's, a, it's an incredible article. I sent you a link to it. It's mm-hmm. full page. It was practically every, every paper, every major paper in the world. And, and some guy from Taiwan sent me a copy. And, um, um, but, but, it, it basically endorsed the, the concept that I put forward. And I, you know, I put Kurtz, Kurtz uh, endorsed the idea of a, of a, a cultural reset, which is what I was, which I talked about and I still talk about, but the original proposal was a mathematical um, thing. It had to do with the math. And I said that, that um, most people are going to be, celebrating the new year on the zero year or the new millennium on the zero year. And, and that's not right. It was, it was because it started with one and, and the, 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 um, the, the full page associated press article, which, which was timely and carefully worded. They, they had to wait until after the new years in 2001, because the claim was that, that, that uh, the 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 zero year would be celebrated, and then one year wouldn't be, and, right. and so they had to we had to wait and see that happen. And guess what? The zero year was celebrated, and so the Associated Press made the point that that people argued that that was wrong, but most people, most of the world, chose to celebrate a fresh chapter in time. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I remember the controversy too. And yeah. by the way, there is a Nine Inch Nails album called Year Zero. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it, it's not yeah, a bad sure. album actually. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's all about it's all about it's all about dictatorship and some of the things that we're fighting in the 21st century. He was pretty uh, ahead of his time with that. Came out, I think, during the Bush administration. But uh, well, I think it's a good point that you're making though about Christian triumphalism, and in the sense that. You know, they claim persecution if they are not at the center of everything, including government. And so that's why it's a good thing that the the no religious test is in the Constitution. 
However, what they do, what they have been doing quite a lot of is going down the road of using the free exercise clause to grant themselves a wide variety of religious exemptions to civil law. And that's, as a matter of fact, what this current Supreme Court is getting ready to do in an even worse way. And uh, during the pandemic, you saw it, you saw a lot of uh, religious requests for uh, uh, gatherings that had been shut down by public health departments, getting religious exemptions to gather, even though they were passing the the virus around. and so it seems to me like there needs to be something specific in a new constitution saying that there can be no religious privilege granted to any religious group, because otherwise every religious group, whoever's the most powerful, tries to get their their religious privilege written into law. What do you have to say about that? I think I think that's a good idea. I, I don't um, I'm not sure if this would be. Um, it may be that, that there would be laws that would be tied to the, it's no longer the First Amendment, it's, 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 in, it's in the um, Bill of Rights. I just took the First Amendment and put it in the Bill of Rights. But um, uh, it may be laws that are attached to that. Uh, um, and and, and maybe, maybe that, that wording needs to be altered too. Um, the, because it doesn't say says we, we don't respect um, uh, establishment of a state religion, but, or, or, and, but we don't. Um, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And that's what yeah. they hang their hat yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. I think the wording might be tweaked on that, that that's a possibility. And that would be something that, that um, again, it's like uh, uh, several things. I don't feel... I never felt comfortable writing any of it, but you know, I had to. I had to write a lot, but um, I don't want to. I, d- I would want to get some real authorities on on that topic, and and get the wording just exactly the way we want it. But uh, I, I'm fully sympathetic with with uh, that. But we're um, we're going to be reasserting uh, the the popular sovereignty and and. And I think that this changes a lot of things, um, and um, and the calendar will would change a lot of things too. And and if people think that oh it doesn't matter, just just look at the, some of the writing. You know, there was an article. I don't know if you read the World Magazine article. You should read it if you haven't. Did you? Mm-hmm. I read everything you sent me. Yeah. Yeah. They it starts off saying, if if secularists can call for taking God out of the public schools, why not take Christ out of the calendar? Yeah, good idea. <laughs> they, they, well, but they were being sarcastic, right? Right. And and um, but so so they were denou- they were denouncing me, and they denounced Paul Kurtz because Paul Kurtz, uh, you know, that was after his testimonial, and um, but in the end, they were they were they were they never interviewed me too. That's that's how you know you're dealing with trash writers is that mm-hmm. they don't bother to interview you and right. and. All of, yeah. all of the better articles were from people that, that actually took the time to interview me because they got they got basic things wrong in that article, but um, you can see them, you know, trying to examine the logic. And they said, if if computers can think it's zero, why not people? <laughs> that was one of their comments. Well, I never said that because I'm a computer engineer and I knew that was nonsense from day one and that that it had nothing to do with anything, but. 
But that was kind of a popular idea that, that uh, computers think it's the year zero and, and it's baloney. But um, uh, um, the other thing is that, but they come up, they came up with that. I never said that. Then they they also said that that this would be the the beginning of the computer era. That was the that was the last sentence. That, that and so that they're trying to they're trying to fathom what the logic of this and make up their own reasoning. But uh, that's not what we were saying. But but it's not you know it's not bad. It's it's, it's just computer era. They didn't have computers two thousand years ago. But there's um I, I actually and another thing that that I don't mention and that you won't see very much of, and that is um, in my slide presentation um, I called it the global era, and and I, I'll just mention that here that that global era was suggested by my one of my academic partners Richard Landis who's a um, historian at the Boston University. And, and initially I said, okay, well, that sounds good. Uh, we'll, we'll go with that. But I later decided the solar era was better. And, and um, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but the last I heard from him, he's writing a book on this. He's, oh. he's written many books, by the way, yeah. as a historian. And he's writing a book just, just on this point. So that'll be interesting to, to, to read. I, he's living in Jerusalem and, and he's no longer teaching at Boston University. I don't know. I haven't heard from him, so I don't know exactly. But I'll, it's something to look forward to his book, but because uh, yeah. he was deeply steeped in, in all of all of the um, millennialism and, and calendars. You know that there have been many calendars historically, and 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 it really it's a cultural thing. I mean, cultures have their own calendar. Yeah, and, it's a very much of an expression of political millennia, power. It's an expression of political power if you yeah, sure. get to make your calendar Absolutely. be the calendar, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. In more ways Absolutely. than people realize. Politically, yeah. it's very powerful. And and for millennia, cultures had their own calendar. They had their own way of – and there was no need. There was no need to think about the calendar on the other side of the world because they, they never went there. Right. But it's really in the, in the 20th century when we have global communications – Global transportation, you know, you go to an airport, you you gotta have you gotta have one you know one thing on your yeah. your arrival time, not in not in multiple multiple right. uh, systems, and um, so so it's it's a it's a very powerful thing, and and I think that the people don't people have no idea because you you know yes what time is it what day is it you just look on your phone or whatever and you know what it is, but that was that was a Cultures developed figuring that out, figuring yeah. out what time it is and what and day it is. It's just and like that, the water. The development of math. And it's like the water we're swimming in. We don't notice how powerful it is, and we don't notice that we all subconsciously think back to Christ every time we write the date. Right? It's it's something that um, is you know it's 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 definitely something that, of Christian supremacy. Alan, let's let's give you the floor the floor to talk about actions. Like, what can our viewers think about and do? What can we do uh, as citizens of the world and of the United States? Like, what are some the just actionable ideas? Right. Well, I mean, I, I would guide people to our to our website, and also um, we have a page on on Facebook. It's called HF as in human federation dot discuss actually you don't need the dot but um, you can just say hf discuss but there's a there's a page in there 
for every state in the United States and every uh, for for about fifty countries, um, and um, you know they're they're pretty much dormant, but there's been some activity and there's some uh, and interestingly. Um, the country of Ghana is, is, is I bet it, there's a pretty active group there. And, um, and Ghana's Ethiopia, a cool country. It is. Ethiopia, our page for Ethiopia has five, has, has 500 likes, hmm. you know, it's still pretty small, but they, they, that's where the African union is, you know, and that's, that's, uh, 55 countries, 1.2 billion people there. Yeah. And, uh, I think that there's the potential, um, and, and and you know it, on our on our webpage, if you if you go straight to h um, to the answer.fyi, you'll see a bunch of uh, images of war that flashes on a TV, and you get out of that, you click on the um, it's called a we call it a, a um, Easter egg right in computer science, right? But you click on the you click on the um, logo, and you'll hear people um, making their pledge requests. In other words, it's, it's, it's individual uh, citizens asking their their head of state to get involved. Yeah, now, I saw that. Not, not yet, it's not exactly saying provide a delegate a delegate for this con- convention because we're not quite there yet. But we want we want uh, these are formative delegations, and so that's something that people can do. They can they can make a pledge request, and and all you got to do. It's all written out. It's the same wording. Everybody says the same thing. What we what we're after is we want to, we want to make it look like everybody in the world is saying the same thing. And and of those pledge requests, there's only four of them up there right now. But they're from four different countries. And um, there's there's a guy in Africa who Hafiz is uh is actually our our, our secretary. Um, and Tim Mayer is in San Francisco. He's he's actually our our treasurer. He's my one of my closest friends. That's not quite fair, but he's not, he's not impartial. He, he, he goes, we go back to open voting consortium. He was, he was one of my right-hand guys back then. But um, so he's, he's making the pledge request and he's out, you know, you can see the golden gate bridge there and you can hear the water. It's, 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 it's really, that's kind of what we really want to see is people. So you can look at it and see people making this request earnestly and you can kind of see where they're at, who they are. And um, although the, there's a guy in Pakistan, he's doing it just sitting at his computer. You know, it's all right. It's whatever. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what he felt like doing. So it's whatever people want to do. But, um, uh, you know, Antella, the, the woman in Italy, uh, the, the comment so far is that she's the best. But, but you can try to top Antella. Because she's just a lovely woman, and and she's in a square in Italy, and it's you know it's obviously it's Italy, and she's speaking Italian, and Italian is a beautiful language. It is a beautiful language. I speak Italian. I understood her perfectly. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so you listened? Okay, good. Um, So we would like to see those. I mean, if if somebody doesn't know what to do, just read the pledge request and do it in your language and put it on YouTube. Yeah. So. What I'm hearing from you is, on the one hand, is really a classic grassroots approach, right? So we're talking about people and then people speaking upwards. 
and government listen, making governments listen. And to get people to to get motivated to do that, you have the, all this idea about getting people together both online and in person in small groups, then eventually into larger groups, into stadiums, and begin to move in that way. And we think about, we should think about like what are good historical models for that, because there are lots of interesting social movements models that have done similar things and where we could learn from that. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we want to learn from all of them. And, um, you know, Bernie is an example, but, you know, there's lots of, Lots of others that, that did things differently too, but um, I'll never forget standing in line at, at, at a, in, in a, at a Bernie event, and and the um, I thought it was beautiful. The the, the ticket, he was he's just uh, somebody zapped the barcode on your cell phone, and then they've got all the information. And um, we want something like that where it's low overhead, and and uh, you know every. And we will we will be um, we will be asking for proof that they're vaccinated to be in a, a, a in person event. Absolutely. So, <laughs> well, here's here's what my thoughts are about this. I'm thinking of the uh, Arab Spring and what happened there, and how these technologies were an incredible means for citizens for the first time to be able to organize because you know the the, the police states had blocked all these avenues for organization organization all of a sudden you had these new technologies and overnight you know you had these you know governments collapsing but what happened was it didn't ever sustain it fizzled out because there was nothing substantial behind it right there was no you know it was nothing like the grassroots movement we saw in the civil rights era behind it and i think so that we have to think about maybe having these tiered structures Right to to be able to to really keep it sustainable. Right. Well, we have to um, we have to uh, uh, right now. I, I want to build some coalition with um, women in Texas. Okay. Because, yes. Uh, um, and, and and so that there are there are segments in our society that that would latch on to this and and wouldn't even care about the rest of it. You know, if if you federalize Roe v. Wade. They'd be happy, and and other people, I think people of color, um, when they when they hear the pitch that we have about racism, that this is a, this is a racist culture, and we had a, we were racist from the beginning. I mean, look at look at Na- Native Americans, look at uh, blacks, and look at Asians, how they were have been treated. Um, we we want to and look at the result from World War One. When we when we refuse to uh, uh, grant Japan's request for a statement of equality, I think that there's something there that they can la- people of color can latch onto, that they would they would it would be as as passionately attached to as women that want to see Roe v. Wade federalized, and so there there are lots of things like that. I think the whole environmental movement. Would like, would there, like there are there are so many constituencies with this, and if you look at the original Constitution, it is so flawed and it is so racist, and the fact that it had to get patched up with all these amendments in order to even be sort of halfway acceptable, and the fact that the Equal Rights Amendment failed, these are all very very good sales pitches to right. start from scratch and do something better. And and I really like the idea that this is open source because, you know, I can sit here and I can have my issues with the text 
Other people can have their issues with the text. It gets hammered out and we come up with something that, um, you know, is, yeah, I guess, right. I guess least offensive to everyone <laughs> that everybody well, can well, sign on to. On the point of open source, um, I've been, I've, I've been involved in some um, big software development projects with Intel and Borland. And we, we use bug tracking software and I know how that works. And, and this is, to me, this constitution is a piece of software. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like software. It is software. It is, yeah. And um, I would, tentatively, I would plan to be using uh, an open source bug tracking system called Bugzilla. <laughs> and so that, when, and what would happen is, if you have an issue, you send it in, and then the, the uh, director of um, quality, QA, the QA director, hands it off to a developer, in this case would probably be a constitutional scholar, and then that person uh, um, uh, responds to it. And then in, in software development, what happens is uh, the bugs come in and we have a bug, what we used to call bug scrub meeting, um, and all the developers and the QA people would get together and you'd go through each bug and talk about it. And, and then uh, a new release comes out. It's not, it's not that they make a final decision, okay? Because when, when you're doing software development, there's a, new, there's a new version of the software every day. And, and that's a process that we go through, and it's an iterative, iterative process. Right. So right. this is the way that I see this happening, is that, is that we, we take all the, all the bug reports, or what, what we would call problem reports. In, in, in some of the, I think at Borland we call them bug reports, and Intel they're problem reports. In this case, I think problem reports, but um, they're bugs. And, and um, then, and then uh, we, we would have a, you know, like I think the, the, the constitution that's out there today says uh, August 31st. That was the last time I changed anything. And I think what you would see is that there would be a new one every day. Every day. Yeah, that's and a the, fascinating idea. It really we would be, is. We'd be taking in all of this information, processing it, and, and assigning it to people who have expertise in the area. And, and, and make some tweaks. And yeah. if something needs to be added, if there's a, a new article that needs to be added, well, it will be added. I'll tell you, we've gone through a whole bunch of stuff here that's really interesting and provocative, and we need to think about this more. And I would definitely suggest people check out Alan's sites and his, his project. Uh, thank you so much, Alan, for spending this time with us today. This has been really enlightening. And I think we need to do another hour, you know, with someone, with you sometimes very soon to talk about proposals for the global constitution of the human federation, let's say. This is all very mind expanding in terms of possibilities. Is there anything else you'd like to say here that we haven't covered yet today? Uh, how, any f closing thoughts from either of you, actually? The only the thing that I'm after with this program is to get another one. Okay. Not necessarily with you guys, although you guys are great, but um, maybe another uh, Sean Prophet and and Joe. I don't know if I can say your last name, but um, uh, to get a, another one, and then the, those would be increasing in in terms of this is a small audience. I don't know what your audience is, but. Um, and we want to see increasingly large audiences and then move on to live events. So 
anybody that can think of how they can help that process, uh, you know, that that's what I'm after. I mean, write to me. You know, I don't people. Uh, yeah. You know, my contact information is no secret. I know that I would like to. I mean, it's something that I uh, would like to be involved in on an ongoing basis. Sounds to me, you know, the more the more the organizational structure can be can evolve and the more that people can know it's like, hey, if I want to do something, what do I do? You know, how do I move this ball forward? And you saw the list of 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 concerns and questions that I submitted. And I'm sure that, you know, as there are a lot of people, as soon as you get this creativity unleashed or people start actually thinking, hey, we can change things right all of a sudden there's a place for everyone to be involved. And I think uh, the, the organization is going to be key. Yeah, well stated. I, I concur in everything you said there, Sean. And um, I want to say, folks, this is That's Our Show for today. Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, support us on Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal, at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Joe Pinti. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. The Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, Joe Okipinti, and Drew Scott. Artwork and design by Tim Stetner, Post-production and theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okapinti. Okay,